This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Dana Duncan. Tonight we apply our patent-pending Stanley rubric to the last of our three films we're going to cover for Black History Month, the irreverent comedy Friday from 1995, directed by F. Gary Gray, written by Ice Cube and DJ Pooh, starring Ice Cube, Chris Tucker, and John Witherspoon. However, quickly before we get to the show, next week we will be covering your choice for our trilogy month, The Oceans Trilogy, starting with the original Oceans 11, directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by George C. Johnson and Jack Golden Russell, starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, and Andy Garcia. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. Also, you can still sign up for our weekly newsletter either by the website in the show notes, you could subscribe at the bottom of every page, or you can also email us at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us still on Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok at the handle at gmotepodcast. Additionally, did you know that in the episode descriptions of every episode, we put links to take you right to either the notes for that specific episode or to the full ranked and graded list of movies we've covered so far. Just open up the episode and you can find them right there to get more information on the show. And, as always, please like, follow, rate, and review the show on whichever podcast platform you use. We would really appreciate it. So, let's get started on Friday, Dad. Initial thoughts on the movie. Neither of us had a relationship going into this one, I had only heard that there were certain references that I knew of from pop culture, particularly by Felicia, which is a very popular internet meme. But outside of that, let's just talk about it in broad strokes to start. I I know that it was trying to portray a more lighthearted view of how life was in the hood, as uh, Ice Cube had indicated in some of the interviews he was doing. But... I, I don't get it, and I have some problem with making it, you know, a comedy where there's drive-by shootings. Yeah, honestly, I thought the last half hour of the movie was what worked the most to me, and the rest of the movie, I felt like Chris Tucker had to try and carry it with kind of just doing this comedic timing that I don't think necessarily appeals to either you or I. It did to me when he did, like, Rush Hour, because I think he was the perfect foil to Jackie Chan's action hero. But outside of that, I just don't know if this movie worked for me in the same ways. It's portraying a life and culture that I'm not familiar with in a location that I have no link to. The closest I had to an outright laugh was when John Witherspoon was on. Because he just was so over the top at times that it was hilarious. But other than that, I didn't have much. Oh, come on. You didn't laugh when somebody said, oh, Smokey is shitting in his yard. Uh, no. (laughs) Okay. Are we really going to leave it at that? I mean, this is Black History Month. I, I think that says enough. All right, so... 
just as far as basic culture, I mean, this brought a lot of people that had been in black films together, but I don't know if this was a, uh, again, and I, I prefaced this last week during the episode, but this is the first black comedy, I think, outside of like Eddie Murphy that I think was really mainstream in some ways. And Ice Cube's not comedic at all. I don't think no. that he has any timing. I don't think he's funny at all in this movie. He's just kind of this straight man throughout the course of the movie that's just supposed to look angry. And this is coming off of the back of his solo career when he split off from NWA. He had also done one other movie up to this point, which was uh, the much celebrated and a movie I almost picked for this slot, but Boys in the Hood. But other than bringing together several other people from that movie and then just trying to make it more of a, I don't know, stoner comedy or slacker comedy, I think is the the more noted term. I really don't understand why this needed to be made, but certain people do like this movie. I just don't happen to be one of them. I have a difficult time with the movie simply because I don't understand what's funny about it. I'm sorry. I mean, for Stoner, I don't have a cultural knowledge of Cheech and Chong, but I understand what's being funny by their behavior and some of the situations they put themselves in. But this, I'm just like, I'm going, why? So Well, and the characters are all based off of what I would assume are staples of a normal neighborhood in Black America particularly in South Central Los Angeles. Well, it's a staple of any city that has a diverse population. And I'm not just saying black, but black, Hispanic, various levels or various socioeconomic levels of whites, etc. You're going to have this. And it was almost it was almost like let's see if we can figure out what the stereotypes are the various characters within the community. We'll have the drug dealer. We'll have the minor drug dealer. We'll have the bully. We'll have the the neighborhood uh, tramp. It's like, okay, I don't get it. But okay, whatever. It's not intended necessarily for me. Well, clearly, and you pretty much take the same tact as, I think, Gene Siskel, who wrote that, I knew this movie was going to be bad the minute we had a Jehovah's Witness swearing on camera, which is about, what, five minutes into the film? Not even? Yeah. Well, and she had been she had been the foil on a TV show from the 70s, Sanford and Son. And uh, so for my generation, you recognize her um, from that. And so, yeah. All right. Let's just jump to the plot summary then and not belabor the point. Do you have one ready for us? Yes, Craig Jones, Ice Cube, recently fired and unemployed, spends Friday with his best friend Smokey, Chris Tucker, a small-time drug dealer. However, when Smokey smokes a stash of marijuana, which he was supposed to sell for Big Worm, Big Worm attempts to collect his money from Smokey, who inadvertently incriminates Craig, subjecting both to Big Worm's ultimatum. Pay $200 no later than 10 p.m. that evening or else. Craig and Smokey will be killed. What will Craig and Smokey do? Yeah, I really should not have you read long sentences while you're kind of hoarse due to your bronchitis. 
Yeah, well, excuse the voice. Yeah, you're going to be extra raspy tonight, but we're going to soldier through. Thank you, though. Cast for this movie, Ice Cube as Craig Jones, Chris Tucker as Smokey, Nia Long as Debbie, Bernie Mac as Pastor Cleaver, Tiny Zeus Lister Jr. as Debo. That's a mouthful. John Witherspoon as Willie Jones, Anna Marie Horsford as Betty Jones, or better known as Mr. and Mrs. Jones, Regina King as Dana Jones, Paula Jai Parker as Joy, Faison Love as Big Worm, DJ Pooh as Red, Anthony Johnson as Ezel, Tony Cox as Mr. Parker, Kathleen Bradley as Mrs. Parker, Yvette Wilson as Rita, and Angela Means as Felicia. Recognition. Friday was released on April 26, 1995. It grossed $6,589,341 on its opening weekend debut at number two at the box office that weekend, and the film grossed $27 million, almost $500,000 in North America overall against a budget of $3.5 million. The film has obtained a large cult following since its release. A scene in the film is the source of the internet meme by Felicia, which is a phrase meant to dismiss an inconsequential person, and former Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker James Harrison and San Francisco 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel are both named nicknamed Debo in reference to the character from the film. Did you know? The neighborhood where this movie takes place is the same street where director F. Gary Gray grew up in South Central Los Angeles, California. Principal houses that were used for filming were houses of old friends of Gray. The scene where Debo, Tommy Tiny Lister Jr., punches Red, DJ Pooh, into the air is the house in which Gray grew up. Did you know? The cast and crew were warned well ahead of time not to wear anything red during filming. 126th Street, where this movie was shot, was well inside the territory of the Crips Street Gang, known for wearing distinctive blue bandanas, whereas their bitter rivals, the Bloods, wear equally distinctive red bandanas. So, for their own safety, red clothing was banned from the set because anyone wearing red clothing of any kind, bandana or otherwise, would be assumed to be sympathetic to the Bloods and potentially be attacked on sight by the Crips. Did you know? DJ Pooh, or Red, was originally set to play Smokey. However, New Line Cinema pressed producers for a better-known actor reaching a deal with Chris Tucker. Did you know? Actor, executive producer, and screenwriter Ice Cube and director F. Gary Gray stated that they modeled this movie after the movie Clerks from 1994 that was directed by Kevin Smith. Did you know? In a deleted scene at the beginning of the credits, you can see Ezel, Anthony Johnson, running down the street with boxes. These are the boxes that Craig Jones' Ice Cube gets blamed for stealing. We'll take a quick break, and we will be right back. Welcome back. Dad, what would be your elevator pitch for this movie? I can't wait to find out. Boys in the Hood spend an average Friday. (laughs) This is an average Friday? That's what they said they were portraying it as. Uh, No, they said this is a Friday where everything changed. Oh, okay. Mine went in a completely different direction. Everybody has that one friend who always gets them into trouble. Because yeah. really, this this entire movie boils down to the relationship between Smokey and Craig. And Smokey's the screw-up and is constantly getting Craig into trouble. Not that he can't get into his own trouble, but essentially he gets fired on his own. But really, all of the revolving action is Smokey just being a bad friend. Yeah, I had one of those in high school. 
All right. Best performance for you? Uh, John Witherspoon. I just thought he was the only thing in the movie that was actually funny with his, uh, you know, you know, and his other little mannerisms. I thought he was at least entertaining. Well, for me, this was kind of a split decision. Again, I think it goes down to the relationship between the two primary characters. And really, without that, this movie doesn't work. And, well, as you can tell, neither of us really think it does anyway. But regardless, I was basically split. Do you choose Ice Cube, who's the primary writer and producer and the star of the movie, who, with his star power and name association, probably gets not only the movie off the ground, but gets any bit of cultural association some box office draw just from that alone because he carried most of the the production and uh actual value to the movie from a financial standpoint or do you go with the person who i think at least comedically carries the movie for pretty much all of it and was a good decision by the studio that they needed a seasoned comedian in order to do the lines apparently the majority of chris tucker's lines are all improvised so if he's your major comedic part of this, I think that I care more about the movie than the finances, especially 20 years, 27 years later. So I'm going to go with Chris Tucker as my best performance. I will go with Ice Cube as my best secondary. Well, that's why I went with Chris Tucker as my best secondary performance. So I thought uh, Ice Cube's entire shtick in this film was to look menacing and irritated. (laughs) I mean, he could have been John Gruden. Yeah, I mean, actually, John Gruden would look more menacing and irritated. Yeah. By the way, after watching the Super Bowl last weekend, I think the new John Gruden face of the NFL has got to be Zach Taylor. Have you ever seen Zach Taylor, when he's on the sideline, do anything other than just, like, grimace and... Yeah, I know. He's developed his father-in-law's persona. Anyway. For those of you that don't know, if you leave this in, is Mike Sherman, the former Packer coach who did nothing but but look like he was in pain or having constipation the entire game. Yes, we say this as Packer fans. Well, and owners, shareholders. Anyway, all right, so then let's... Wow, we're going to move quickly on this one. This might be our second fastest episode at this pace, right yeah. next to uh, Greatest uh, Show of All Time, or The Greatest Show on Earth, excuse me, from 1952. Yes. I think that movie... We did a 29-minute episode, but... <laughs> and it was 28 too long. <laughs> God. It's our lowest-rated movie by quite a margin yet. Anyway, yeah. regardless. All right. Uh, most charismatic. Uh, I went with Bernie Mac, because you could see just in him being the uh, preacher that he had that knack for just playing it up and uh, being Bernie. Well, and this, I think... I don't know if this is before or after her appearance on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but I always had kind of a thing for Nia Long. I always thought she looked very pretty and that she had a certain girl-next-door quality, which in this movie she quite literally is. So I went with her. I thought she was endearing, and you can see why Craig is basically trying to beat up Debo by the end of the film because he's going after her. Yeah. And we move with breakneck pace. Best scene. Uh, I have a few of them. I don't know how many of these actually qualify for best scene, but waking up, basically the introduction to all of the characters. Debo knocks out Red, the flashback scene, so that we get the introduction to the bully. By Felicia, 
only for its cultural value. The corner store, just so we get the introduction of the DJ, or excuse me, not the DJ Poop character, but uh, Ezel. Debbie steps by. Mr. Jones talks to Craig about guns, which I think might be the best scene of out of the entire movie. Smokey does his business on the lawn, the shootout, and Craig fighting Debo. Which of these do you think is the best scene? I like, uh, as you kind of uh, alluded to, I like the uh, gun scene that uh, I think that it's kind of a poignant scene. It felt to me the only one that had like a major commentary outside of the film. It seems like at least in 1995, every movie with black people had to be about gangsters and drug dealing and guns and shootouts and drug deals gone wrong and people doing gangland violence. And this at least had something to say about all of that. You know, whether it's John Witherspoon basically saying, oh, well, a real man does it with his fists. And whether you want to say that that's a quality argument or not is something. But at least it's a advocation for we did it with our fists because at the end of the day, you'd still come home. Which I think at least for a comedy of its time was trying to advocate for something other than it looks cool to shoot a gun with your hand cocked sideways. Which I never have understood at all. Well, it's completely inaccurate. I think they tested it on Mythbusters one of these times. It, it has absolutely no great value. You end up missing more than anything else. So to me, that was probably the best. Although I thought the real ending of the movie where... Craig is fighting Debo and you get into the situations because I guess those have the most emotional punch. Those two scenes where you're grappling with the gun and it's a real father to son conversation for the first time in the movie because it seems like John Witherspoon's more or less bothered by having kids at every other point in the movie except that one. And then the final scene where he's trying to get Craig to put the gun down. But that fight out with... Debo and Craig and he pulls out the gun and they're really having that emotional back and forth. I thought those were the two parts of the movie where I thought it had additional weight that wasn't otherwise there. And for me, that's why the movie started to work. Cause again, I, I wasn't tickled by anything in this movie either. Yeah. So favorite scene then. No, I, I like the fight scene. That's my favorite simply because I don't know, maybe Small guy gets or beats up a big guy. Well, it wasn't really that small either. It's just Debo was that big and that menacing. I mean, especially with that, I don't know, he has like a cloudy eye. I'm never really sure what happened with Tony Lister that uh, he has that cloudy eye and I really don't care to find out. But it's essentially, you know, Ice Cube's always been kind of a bigger guy. I mean, he played a triple X agent in a movie. It's not that he's a small guy or doesn't, kind of portray some toughness, but yeah, Debo is like this just giant menacing guy and it does take him a long time and we'll deliberate the fight at the end of this episode, but it takes him a long time to finally knock out Debo, but basically fighting for a woman's honor in the name of beating him up for some level of domestic violence. Yeah, I could make a, a definite case. It's my most indelible moment, but my most favorite scene, if I have any, is Debbie stopping by. I just like the interplay of Craig kind of realizing he's into Debbie and her trying to pawn off Smokey on her friend. That whole conversation, obviously that pays off after a while. 
and you know you got the background music going I thought it was actually a well-constructed scene within this because it kind of gives you elements of a lot of different movies you got a comedy you got a little bit of a romantic comedy you've got some emotional drama that's going on with the gangland stuff and the drug dealing stuff so just a lot of different flavors within the course of this movie most indelible moment for you how can you have a frickin' drive-by shooting and nobody gets hurt and people in the neighborhood are going, was there something going on out here? I mean, they're using machine guns. Well, that was my biggest thing is, is if they're shooting just randomly aside, isn't somebody else potentially going to get hurt by just being an innocent bystander and them shooting into a house? But that's more unanswerable questions. Again, not your most indelible moment. Well, it was for me because I'm sitting there going, ah, uh, a comedy with drive-by shooting. Ugh. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> Again, I'm not going to belabor the point, so let's take another quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Thank you for rejoining us. Dad, do we have anyone to remember this week? Well, uh, we have a few. Uh, Jack Smothers, English actor, 89. Stage play, Love Thy Neighbor, but a TV show that was both popular in Britain and the United States, uh, Love Thy Neighbor, or excuse me, uh, Man About the House, and King Ralph with John Goodman. Man About the House, if you're unfamiliar, was the basis for uh, a 70s and 80s sitcom, Three's Company. Um, he also appeared in Chariots of Fire. Uh, Alfred Soule, 78, American film director. Did Alice, Sweet Alice, and Pandemonium. Uh, was a production designer for uh, Veronica Mars. Beryl Virtue, 90, English television producer. Did uh, Men Behaving Badly, Sherlock, and Jekyll. Founder of Hearts Woods Films. Married to Stephen Moffat. She uh, produced Tommy with the Ken Russell rock opera based on the uh, Who's Tommy album. Uh, among other projects, and was involved in uh, Doctor Who with her husband. And then the uh, most notable for fans, Ivan Reitman, 75, American film director and producer, uh, was involved in Animal House, Meatballs, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Twins, Dave, Kindergarten Cop, and uh, Beethoven, father of current director Jason Reitman. For what it's worth, that is a fairly good lineup of comedic films through the 80s that I think you were at least somebody who showed me quite a few of these and was in love with at one point in time. Yes. Animal House, Meatballs, Stripes, Ghostbusters. I mean, realistically, other than Animal House there, but you have the Harold Ramis and Bill Murray team-up trifecta of uh, major Hollywood comedies of the 80s. Well, I really liked uh, Twins, which was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Uh, Dave was a funny film with Kevin Kline. Kindergarten Cop with uh, Arnold. Uh, Beethoven was okay. I mean, it was... Uh, you actually saw that? Yes. I don't think I've ever seen it. I thought we watched it as a family. I have no recollection of it whatsoever. Eh, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought we uh, watched it as a family. I've seen seen it. I know that much. Well, this would be a curious question for you. The first few movies that I have recollection of that are at least my earliest memories. 
Peter Pan's in there. The Lion King, seeing that in theaters. I swear that was my first theater movie. And might have been. No, actually not. Your first your first theater was Aladdin. And uh, the Mighty Ducks movies. Okay. Or at least the first two. No, we took you to Aladdin. I don't remember it at all. I mean, I remember watching it later on, but not like physically that I sat and watched it, and I remember having watched it early on. Yeah, but I remember specifically because um, that was the first one that I had actually been to in a number of years because I only saw Beauty and the Beast on DVD or might have been VHS at the time um, with you when you were small. But we took you to Aladdin, and I had no idea what it was. I just know your mother drugged me to it, and I'm like, ah. And then it was Robin Williams, and I thought uh, his performance was so outstanding and so borderline. I mean, it, it, it was reminiscent of the old Looney Tunes cartoons of the 40s and 50s when there was as much there for the adults as there was for the kids. So back to Ivan Reitman then. I don't think it can be overstated that his importance in getting the original Ghostbusters made, not only as its director, but one of its biggest champions outside of Dan Aykroyd. And he really was intimate with the creation of that universe, given the timeline of what they were working with to try and get that movie on track and really what the success of it ultimately became. If you want a really good background on all of that the movie or excuse me the tv series from netflix the movies that made us has a really good background on all of that and i would encourage people to check that out not only for that one but several of the other big movies around that uh, especially if you're you know 30 years or older and actually grew up with a lot of those movies it's a very good show but we take a moment of silence here in all of their honor Thank you. All right, let's move to best funniest lines. Do you even have any nominated? Well, <laughs> um, so no. I'll, I'll just go. With, I'll go by the the greatest line, which is Smokey. Damn. <laughs> yeah, that was my first nominee. Did you have any others? Mrs. Jones. Now your father. He's got game. Mr. Jones. Don't nobody go in the bathroom for about uh, 35, 40 minutes. You call that game? Okay. That's about it. All right. I have Smokey and Ezel taking a crap outside. You better not tell anybody, man. Man, I'm not, man. Keep it on the low. All right, brother. Hey, Smokey back here taking a shit. Ezel, don't worry. I won't tell anybody else. All right. I have one more I actually thought about here. Smokey. You gotta be a stupid motherfucker to get fired on your day off. Yeah, I had that one too. Smokey, I know you don't smoke weed, I know this, but I'm gonna get you high today, cause it's Friday, you ain't got no job, and you ain't got shit to do. Basically the premise for the entire movie. Yes. Mr. Jones, every time I come in the kitchen, you in the kitchen, in the goddamn refrigerator, eating up all the food, all the chitlin, all the pig feet, all the collard greens, all the hog maws. I want to eat some of them chitlins. I love pig feet. And then finally, Smokey, because this one actually does have some pop cultural value. You got knocked the fuck out. That's all I had. Okay. All right, should we go to the Stanley rubric? Okay. 
Let's go. Uh, Legacy, do you want to go first or second? I'll go. There were two sequels. So for the industry, I'll give it a 2.5 simply because the industry at least thought it was worth making two sequels. From a, a, a Legacy, I will give it a 2 simply because I had never heard of it. But that doesn't mean that others hadn't, and it has had a pop culture tr- or tale to it that people enjoy. So I went with 4.5. I'm assuming you meant the audience as your second Excuse thing me. instead of just legacy, but all right. Yes. So I'm going to raise one of mine slightly because you did make a, a point that I guess I had missed that this does have two sequels, even if they're bad and. So does the Hangover trilogy, so I can't really judge it too harshly on that front. But I originally had a one for the industry. I mean, this movie didn't have a lot of staying power, at least at large. The movie, or this movie was maybe okay with critics, and the other two are some of the, like, worst-rated critics movies ever. Not that these were really made for the mainstream white critics of Hollywood, and then finally, all the stars, for the most part, with the exception maybe of Nia Long, who's still in some stuff, are pretty much done. I haven't seen Chris Tucker in anything since, I think, Silver Linings Playbook, and Ice Cube, I think, came back to do another Triple X movie about eight years ago. Outside of that, he's more into three-on-three basketball at this point in time. So, other than the cultural references that you get here and there... And I do think this has a audience yet because this is a cultural staple for a community that I'm not involved with. So I went with four for audience and I'll go with a 2.5 for the industry. So I'll end up at a 6.5 for the legacy. So averaged out, that's a 5.5 between us. Impact significance. I think at the time this kind of promoted and helped promulgate a lot of black actors careers, especially a lot of character actors. There weren't a lot of good character actors, but this has this movie has a lot of that guys. People that just popped up in other films because they'd appeared in some of these films. And so from that standpoint, I went with a three because at least not only did it do that, but you had the multiple sequels and you had some other things going on with this. It also proved that Ice Cube, I guess, could lead a movie. I mean, it was number two at a box office on a particular weekend. So he got other opportunities to do comedies like Are We There Yet? And he was uh, the second triple X in a movie. So from that standpoint, I'll give it a three for the industry. I'll give it a two for the audience who kind of showed up, but it didn't like have great staying power for the mid-90s. And it was only number two at a box office. So I ended up at a five. All right. So I'm going to go with impact and significance for the for the industry, a two. I, I understand your point, but I don't even think that that was, it, it really didn't even have that much that promoted a bunch of these actors, uh, to my my thought. And I went with a 2.5 for, for, the, for the audience because I think it did draw at least something. I mean, it was a $3 million uh, budget and made 26. So people did actually go. It wasn't huge, but there was a blip there that people went to see it. So 4.5. So that's a 4.75 average between us. Novelty. 
I don't know how you're going to get a very novel movie out of this where it's slackers. That's a burnout film, which clearly we'd had a bunch of those before. And that this is notably modeled after Clerks, which the main characters had said they did. But to try and soften the hood, to try and make an actual black comedy instead of a black tragedy story of gangland and violence, I'll give it a very uh, generous six. For the same reasons you indicated, I went with a 5.5. Because at least it did try to soften the perception of what was going on in the hood. But again, a comedy with a drive-by shooting! (laughs) All right, classicness. I honestly have no idea how to judge this, so I gave it a point up for its commentary on domestic violence and gun-related items, but a point down for having to go to Big Worm for weed in California, which hasn't been a thing for like four years now. And I finally gave it another point down because the humor seems to have aged a little bit quicker on this movie for me. So my standard is to start at a seven, but I worked back down. So I ended up at a six. Well, I, uh, I, I went and looked at this and I'm like, okay, yeah, the guns and the domestic violence and such, but it was just so formulaic. You know, drug dealers and small-time hoods. and I didn't find that there was a whole lot that aged well comedically. I had a hard time greeting this one. I went with a 5 for classicness for that reason. So that's a 5.5 between us. Boy, we are really staying within a very small margin. But rewatchability, I went with a 5. It's not my cup of tea. The humor seems dated. And I don't understand most of the cultural point of view on this movie, so I'm indifferent on ever seeing it again. And that's why you give it a five? Yes, that's my halfway in between is the movies that I actively don't want to see or have a reason not to see start to go under the five. Okay. All right. If you're using that standard. That's my standard. I know. You do you. I know. I don't care if I ever watch this film again. If it's on, you know, I might like, hey, you want to see a film that I've seen that I'm like not sure whether I like it or not (laughs) or that I don't understand here. Watch. So to that extent, I'll go with a four. All right. So it ends up at a 4.5 between us. The audience scores on this one were 91% and 91% for a 9.1. So let's add that back up. That was a 5.5 for Legacy. That was a 4.75 for Impact Significance. That was a 5.75 for Novelty. That was a 5.5 for Classicness. That was a 4.5 for Rewatchability. And we have a 91 or 9.1 points for Audience Score, which I think is going to resurrect this movie in some ways, for a total of 35.1 and that would currently place it in between a bridge too far and the help for five from the bottom. Okay. It's above the help, the quiet man, wedding crashers, and the greatest show on earth, which is way, way down the list. Yeah. All right, so remaining questions. 
Why would you get fired for stealing boxes? They're cardboard. I don't know. Unless there was something in the boxes, but then you wouldn't be stealed or fired for stealing boxes. You'd have been fired for stealing shoes or food or whatever it was. I don't know. Well, it just seems like a really stupid item to be stealing, one. And two, is it really stealing if people are more or less probably just folding them up and recycling them? What's the big I deal? That, that makes no sense to me unless there's some other meaning to the term boxes that I don't understand. Also, if you had a brick connect with your head from five feet away, aren't you dead? Or at least knocked right out there? I don't know. If you ever want to see something that's absolutely ridiculous, read The Death of Rasputin. I know about The Death of Rasputin. We're not even... All right, remaining questions for you. Would this film even be made today? Yes. It would just have Tyler Perry Presents Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, I'm just thinking every time that we watch one of these movies that does not appeal to us as the like moderate white crowd from Midwestern Wisconsin of that uh, sketch where Tom Hanks is on Black Jeopardy. yeah anyway final thoughts no I don't have any I guess I apologize for my cold I've been uh, battling it all week and been home most of the week I know my voice isn't the best but excuse me looking forward to the Oceans uh, trilogy so as am I I mean it's one of my most favorite and most rewatchable movies. I'll just tell you right now that this would qualify as an absolute 10 for me for rewatchability. I love these movies. I will literally stop and watch them whenever they are on. They are the definition of comfort movie to me. I like the star appeal. I like hanging out in that environment. I like getting the better over guys who think they're like so self-important. So it's an absolute 10 for me, at least on... 11 and 13. I could do without 12. But if you want to stick in 12, fine. It does have Albert Finney. Oh, yeah, I forgot. He was, like, at the way end. He's in it for, like, 30 seconds. So? I guess. All right. I mean, there are much better Albert Finney movies that aren't named Tom Jones. Okay. Where are you headed, cowboy? Nowhere special? Nowhere special. I always wanted to go there. Next week, we will be covering your choice for our trilogy month, the Oceans Trilogy, starting with the original Oceans 11, directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by George C. Johnson and Jack Russell, starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, and Andy Garcia. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that you can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at gmotepodcast, G-M-O-A-T podcast. Greatest Movie of All Time is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.